show you. Yeah, do it again. Do it again. The other week, and it was like golden. It's like, oh, fuck. Every week. Yeah, well, yeah, but the other week, I didn't press record early enough because Jones was just hammering me for about 20 minutes. He's like, ah, so I waited for him to put his foot in it and then press record. <laughs> anyway, we're recording now. Anyway, so we're back again. Episode 18. We're up to now the Strong Dads podcast. We missed a week last week because Jones was Billy Big Time and too busy for us and that. And so me and Neely felt like we couldn't do it justice on our own. And it probably just turned into an episode of me and him taking the piss out of you, Jones. So really, you have the delivery people in the world. It's like, we'll show up between 6am and 10pm. Oh, mate, they showed up today. I actually showed up today, but I got a phone call off... Um, like the guys who are doing the work in the unit below going, oh yeah, there's um, there's a big pallet outside with your name on it. And I was like, all oh, right, I'll come down now and unload it, shall I? But yeah, two weeks ago when uh, the kit for my gym should have been delivered, didn't get delivered. And it turns out the couriers have lost it. So there'd be some delivery guy getting hench off all my weights <laughs> and that somewhere. Um, yeah, so anyway, we're back this week and uh, we have a guest again, this week and we've gone big again we've gone back into the world of elite sport so nearly this is your neck of the woods so go on you can give <laughs> yes uh we're on uh, with my uncle matt today now but um <laughs> but seriously uh yes mate <laughs> but, but seriously um going back uh we've got a really good guest seriously this guy has worked in the pinnacle of rugby league and sport so uh i say my uncle max i met uh this man when i was 13 years old um, and we just have a joke, but generally one of the first things he did say was fucking rugby players. Because uh, <laughs> I think I had like a shoulder problem or something at the time. I'm sure I was doing press-ups just to test it out before my physio appointment. Um, but he's <laughs> just like, fuck's sake. But um, yeah, Matt, so Matt is a musculoskeletal physiotherapist. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, said that right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, owner of your health groups uh, based in the Waterside Hotel and Leisure Club in Didsbury. Uh, and you've obviously worked in elite sport when I met you at Warrington Wolves, was your head physio for the academy at the time? Yeah, I'd come in, I'd come in to help Paul, and my friend was the head physio, so um, I was working in football at the time, and he'd asked me to come and come and help with the academy, and uh, yeah, that's when that's I, when I met, met you, you, which was the pinnacle of my career. <laughs> well, before that, you was at Stockport, was you? Blackpool, all those type of... Yeah, yeah, um, started at Blackpool Football Club um, while I was studying, and then... Stockport County when they were still half decent and in the championship and, and beating my team City, which we'll gloss over. But so every therefore from Grace since it's nothing to do with me. But um yeah, I was, just, <laughs> I was at Stockport and then um yeah, Warrington, uh Oldham Athletic, Hull KR and Salford Reds. Yeah, because I think it was kind of as I went through the scholarship, you were like my physio. Went to Australia together, didn't we? We did, yep. Bonkers for all the <laughs> weirdest reasons. Um, but yeah, I went to Warrington on tour, didn't we? And I think when I left to go to Salford, you just took the head job at Salford from, I think, Hull KR, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. Which I think one of the biggest ones I remember, which I was going to ask you about today, which was awful to see on TV, was the Chev Walker leg break. Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, yep. your dealing with that was uh, something to see on TV. So uh, yeah, it was that at some point. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's a good one to talk about, yeah. But, uh, yeah, mate, I'm happy to have you here. Um, and we'll Pleasure. All things. But yeah, um, 
one of the ones I was going to open up with, mate, was what is a musculoskeletal physiotherapist? Very good. Um, exactly as it sounds. It's a fancy a fancy term for someone who just works in. So, you know, there's different kinds of physios. There might be respiratory. Um, there might be um, neuro who work with kind of stroke patients and things like that. So musculoskeletal physios work with primarily musculoskeletal problems. So, you know, um, could be sport, could be private practice working with, you know, weekend warriors or the worried well. Um yeah, there's, there's, there's various facets, but I certainly couldn't go and work in neuro without a lot of training or extra training uh, or respiratory or anything like that. So you make it a musculoskeletal physiotherapist. I didn't know there was different types of physiotherapy, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, of course there is. I didn't know. I, I, didn't I mean, I was physio broad, but yeah. I didn't realize it was in, as in depth as uh, that, but. Basically, you work with broken people, like physically, people who've screwed themselves up, bad backs, joints, shoulders, knees, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Um, just kind of, you know, real people, as we'd sort of say. I mean, it's just everyone that you guys encounter just um, could be, you know, just Joe Bloggs, who is a sedentary kind of person. He's um, never trained, never done any exercise. It might be, um, you know, your weekend warriors who just kind of play at weekends, do nothing in the week could be people who are really fanatical gym goers or even elite athletes, just whoever really, but yeah, all kinds of different aches and pains for, for a variety of reasons. Say, is there like a common theme, like a common injury that you see with a certain demographic of people or is it? <sighs> Good question. Not, not especially. I mean, I think that the, the narrative that we would have in this country about, you know, um, obesity and not sort of aging very well and that kind of thing I think most people would think that as we get older we get aches and pains but it, it doesn't follow it doesn't follow I think it's it's very dependent on a lot of things genetics are important um, but obviously what we actually do to ourselves what we take in what we consume in terms of nutrients what we consume in terms of um, you know healthy relationships healthy thoughts healthy beliefs all of those kind of things they have a huge impact on our on our pain experience so i guess the majority of people that i'm working with at the moment are persistent pain sufferers whether that's you know fibromyalgia or what we're seeing more at the moment is long covid kind of symptoms um but again that could show itself with a, an exacerbation of osteoarthritis symptoms, rheumatoid arthritis, or even just, you know, your, your bog standard aches and pains, back pain, or anything like that, really. Yeah, so we're looking into your clinic now, Matt. You've kind of got different facets, haven't you? A different side. It's not just physio, is it? Is that yeah, no, it's not just me. Um, yeah. Work with, so Ruth, my partner, I should be mental working as well as living with her, but um, <laughs> we, we don't we don't cross over too much, but we, we do with patients, but not not physically sort of thing. But yeah, she's a, she's a yoga teacher and a nutritionist. Um, and we work with Anna as well, who's a sports therapist and soft tissue sort of specialist. So a lot of kind of massage and recovery type work as well as as well as a lot of rehab work actually but a lot of the patients we work with at the moment do have huge crossovers because I know you guys uh, uh, will obviously be testament to how important nutrition is as well as as well as obviously training we've got to be physically active but you can't you know the cliches you can't out train a bad diet and all of that type of stuff so it's massively important just and I think the way 
taking physiotherapy out of it, I think the way that sort of healthcare and well-being is going, I think we're going to have just a, a series of um, health coaches, uh, basically, really, whether that's from a personal training background, whether it's from a physio background, whether it's nutrition or yoga or because we should all be promoting the same kind of lifestyle, really. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to say that when you come on the podcast, you're like, it's, it's strange. Everyone we've spoke to has been on, whether it be physical, I don't know, like mental health or movement, it all kind of entwines into the same thing. I mean, you got, to know, you got to know where you're like, obviously as personal trainers, we need to know when, you know, we need to pass over to physios and vice versa, but it is like so entwined, isn't it? And it's easy of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's the same. We, sh- we should all, I think there's too many, uh, barriers and sort of separations between um, professionals. And I think a lot of that can be due, can be due to ego or a lot of it can be down to sort of insecurity and, you know, pretending, you know, more than you do or, but we're, a, we sort of our, our company tagline is that we're collaborative healthcare because we collaborate with the clients because that's the only way to get anything done, but we collaborate with other professionals. And because again, having no one no one knows everything and no one is the right fit for everyone absolutely so you've got to and we all you know what it's like we all draw on different things don't we it might be a podcast you've listened to it might be a course you've been on a webinar a a book you've read i don't know a personal experience we we all draw on these kind of things so it's part of our experience and part of those skills that you can then pass on to the to the clients that you're working with Oh, I thought you were going then, Neely. going to go. He's like a goldfish then. Like, <laughs> what was he doing? The old open mouth, closed mouth trick. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was going to say on from that then, in terms of so how say how different is like the people that you work with now? I guess their approach to things different to the guys when you were working in elite sport with <laughs> with Neely in terms of actually. Uh, I was going to say taking on board what you're saying, doing what you needed, because obviously there's a lot of stuff that you're you you'll work with clients is like you can do stuff that's hands-on with them for half an hour an hour or however long you see them for yeah but then there's stuff that they like you just said they need to be taking care of the health and other things outside of sessions yeah are people because i guess people well, for me you think like elite sport as like these guys who are really into it and would really take care of themselves but actually they're, they're more likely to just go and try and like Neely said before do a load of press-ups test where they're at and probably beat themselves up again then come back to you and go uh Matt can you just fix me again I've broken myself what is that right or is it a case of people they are actually what's people, the difference? people are people um it, it varies you've got I mean, and Neely will be testament to that you've got your kind of ultra professionals who do absolutely everything right. Um, I could say that they're boring, but um, they're not. They're just, they're, you know what I mean? And you'll have clients that are the same. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be bang on with the nutrition. They'll be bang on with the training programs they, because that's just the way that they roll. Um, equally, there's loads of players that we worked with that absolutely, absolutely sort of lived for after game day because they could just eat a right load of shit and, and look forward <laughs> to a, a beer or... It, so people are people and, and people's personalities are exactly the same. So you would deal differently with, with people as you would with a squad. Um, I think the thing is, we were talking about sort of collaborating and, and passing people over when it's appropriate. I think the thing that you've got at a club is, and, and again, Neil, you'll say that you've got everything at your fingertips, haven't you? You've got even even some of the crappy clubs we, we worked at or <laughs> we're aware of, Um you still have got everything at your fingertips. You've got kind of 
you know, your training gear. And to a certain extent, it does stop you thinking a little bit for yourself because you're told where to be at what time and what to wear. And so you can go a bit on autopilot and, and maybe not question as much, but you've got everything at your fingertips. You've got, you know, your, your massages after training, before, before training, all the rest of it. You've got your, your shakes lined up. You've got your nutrition advice, all of that type of stuff. So um, I think what you've got with everyone else is obviously the, the pressures of life that we all face, whether it's kids, whether it's work, whether it's, and then you've got to fit in your training and your, your well-being around that. So I think I'm always astounded with people who are, that I'm working with that are, you know, still at quite an elite level, maybe um, endurance athletes or whatever that have a normal life as well as such, because they've got to fit a hell of a lot of training in around their other commitments. And it, it takes a lot as, as we all know. I was just going to say, um, there's a few things I'll touch on when you said that, like you said, like everything was lined up. I've said on the podcast before, I was like a little rugby robot. And it's only when I went playing part-time and had a year off, I was like, Oh, I have to look after my body myself. Yeah, yeah. It was instead of like text you, Matt, I've got a back bit of back pain, or oh, I'm not feeling too well, or oh yeah, when are the masseurs in? And yeah, who's yeah, all that type of stuff. And obviously, because I was younger, I didn't get as much. But um, one of the best things I think you did, uh, which I don't know if you realise or not, was <laughs> you're gonna laugh about this now. Was I have a distinct memory of you running on the field, and then you said it to a lot of people, and I said to these guys before, are you injured or are you hurt? Yeah, yeah, and I think it was one of the best things you could say to a young professional athlete because obviously you're learning your body and you're learning is this an injury or have I just took a whack? Am I actually injured? Is it something I can deal with myself and kind of play on? And I, it's one of the things I still have to this day because I understand that if I've got a tweak, it's just a bit I'm a bit hurt or I'm actually injured. And I think it's how you transferred that over, and I'm sure you do that with clients. It's, it's interesting because that, I think that was that that's just conjured up for me. That was born out of I think you know coaches on the headset grabbing you and going, "Get onto them. Are they are they all right?" Or you know, what's the phrase? Shit travels downhill. So you've got the gaffer, you've got the gaffer in the stand giving it the trainer on the on the headphone, and then he's giving it me, and then like you've got to get back, and it's like, can he carry on? Can so that is literally all they want to know. I mean, there's a lot of maybe well-being and, and, you know, kind of self like player management around that, but that's another, that's a wider issue, but it's like, can they carry on or not? And, you know, the usual sort of response, tell them to tough it out. And <laughs> what was, uh, what was one of the doctors at Warrington to, to paracetamol and ride it out. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. But it, it does it does relate into I mean what we know what we know about pain now in terms of research and neuroscience is a hell of a lot more than obviously we used to, and pain is a good system it's it's an alarm system to begin with so in acute pain it's appropriate you know if you sprain an ankle or um, let's think of something stupid your appendix bursts well you want to know about it don't you so you can take action so it's a motivator it, but. If it continues, so if it continues longer than you would expect, you know, take a sprained ankle. It hurts, doesn't it? So if you sprain an ankle crossing the road, though, and there's a bus speeding towards you, is it going to hurt? No, it's not, because your brain and nervous system know that the bus is more dangerous than the actual ankle. So you'll be able to, there's a fancy term for it, it's called descending modulation. So it, all that is, is your nervous system turning down that pain because it knows there's a bigger threat. So it's interesting because a lot of 
clients I see with persistent pain, they've just got sensitized nervous systems. It's not that they're damaged or that they're injured. Yes, yes, they're hurt and they're in pain, but it's much more complex than that. And it's not just a case of, oh, uh, I've got loads of pain, so that means there must be loads of damage. Doesn't doesn't relate that. So it's it's an interesting sort of battle daily that we have with people, really. And, and well, not a battle, um, you know, actually just helping people understand what pain is and, and their individual circumstances. Yeah, how do you, I was going to say, how do you manage that? Sorry, Joe. I was going to say, yeah, go on. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you get onto a, a client? It varies. It, you have to you have to meet people where they are, um, and you have to get an understanding of of their understanding as well, because quite often it, it becomes a bit of a coaching session where you'd be like, well, what do you mean by that? Or what do you understand by that? Or would you be interested in another take on that? Or because quite often, you know, let's take bad backs, for example, they might have been told that they've slipped a disc, which can never happen anyway. So that's crappy language, which can create, you know, everyone's heard of the placebo effect, haven't they? Yeah. But, you know, things like that, slipped disc or bone on bone, or that's that's called a nocebo effect. Yeah. So that actually creates danger within that person. And that creates a fear avoidance and it creates poor pain beliefs and poor body efficacy, really. Um, so we deal with those beliefs and we'll, we'll I don't want to say educate people because it sounds like you're lecturing them, but you'll, you'll work with where they're at. And listening is the biggest part because then you can actually, by asking the right questions, you can start to get a sense of that. And you can ask them, well, does that ring true for you? Or is that what your doctor's told you? Or has that been explained to you? Or what's your understanding of that? And then it starts to open up a, a wider conversation, really. Well, I was going to say where sort of you say that pain and managing it in your sort of position as a, as a team physio and stuff. So I was trying to think of an example. Um, it was Sam Burgess in the grand final a few years ago, the yeah. Sydney Rabbitohs. Yeah. I think he fractured his cheekbone in the first yeah. minute or so. Yeah. Where? How would how would that conversation go? You know, <laughs> like he's cut. You know, he's like obviously something's wrong. Had a clash of heads. You've come on as the physio. How how does that conversation work? You said because you've got the, the the head coach probably in your ear going. What's going on? Is he's bigger than me. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm six foot three, but he's bigger than bigger and harder than me. So whatever he says goes. Oh, um, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, again, you know, I, I touched on that descending modulation though, yeah. and that he wouldn't have felt as much pain as we would actually think. He'll be in pain, but he expects pain because he's a rugby player, so he's better able, yeah. not better able to deal with it. But he's in a grand final, so adrenaline's coursing through. It's what, it's what that context means. So he would undoubtedly have been in bits afterwards and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been surprised if he collapsed. Or, but whilst adrenaline's going, whilst um, the meaning of winning a grand final means more mm. to him than that actual um, episode. So that's how he's able to get through that. I had, um, I didn't nearly remember a, a bloke called Stanley Jean um, yeah. up at Hall KR. <laughs> and, <laughs> absolute just probably the hardest man I've ever met in my life. Ridiculous. And I remember going on to him once and he's, he's wringing his hand and he's like, just like the gaffer wants him off. Cause he's obviously can't, his wrists pointing the wrong way, basically. So I'm tra- I'm behind the line and I'm trying to get him off and he's pushing me off with his other hand and he's, he's going back in for a tackle and then it's like flopping around and 
I'm trying to get him off. The gaffer's trying to get him off. It's like, it's Bedlam's going on. And he's basically put, I think he made three tackles and then turned around to me with it in his hand and just went, yeah, get me off. And it's just like, well, how do you know to the to the to the layperson or even to us? It's like, are you mental? It's like, did you not feel that? Did you not know? But it's it's what that thing means at that time. If if we're thinking of things logically, then obviously you'd have gone, no, bugger that, I'm off. Right? But you're not because of the context of the situation and a lot of our understandings based on um, there was a, um, a World War One doctor who was obviously seeing people with horrendous injuries from shrapnel and, and bullet wounds and all the rest of it. And he was finding that a lot of his, a lot of the soldiers weren't in pain or not as much as he was expecting because what that meant to that soldier was that they were, they were off, they were going home. They were being invalided home. They weren't on the front line. So their system knows that they're instantly in less threat. It's bizarre. It's a, it's, it's weird, but, um, and equally he was, he was running out of morphine for the people that needed it. So one of his nurses was injecting people with saline and they were reporting their pain levels coming down. So you kind of go, hang on a minute. What's, what's happening there? Morphine versus saline. You ex- it's all to do with context. You expect an inv- an invent, uh, sorry, an intervention to help. So you have that, placebo kind of effect you, there's so much context with it that, that is massively important and Neely mentioned it before about um, Chev Walker he was the calmest person on the field the rest of the players were probably in feeling like more proxy pain and the captain was being sick on the sideline and you know bizarre I've watched it back on Sky and the commentators are like oh yeah and that's a bit of padding he's got in his sock and then whoever was the co-commentator was like no that's his bone <laughs> yeah, definitely his bones it's not, well, they, don't, they don't wear shin pads <laughs> yeah, well, Jones, you've had a very similar broken leg haven't you playing a game so uh, yeah, I think yeah. I can't remember you were playing but Chev Walker did a very bad break didn't he uh, Headingly, yeah it was yeah. You, you actually playing it back even though there's probably I don't know what did lead to 10,000 maybe I, I don't know how many were there um, you can actually hear the crack on on the on the audio I was watching it back with the doctor, and I said, "You can, you can hear that." And he went, "Don't be daft." And he replayed it and went, "Oh, bloody hell, you can!" But yeah, he was he was the calmest person because, again, his system knew that it wasn't in his best interest to go into shock because shock's life threatening, all the rest of it. So he reported feeling no pain until he was in the ambulance and on the way to hospital because then his system knows that he's being looked after. I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see. I was going to say, it's I, I, interesting I, to see I'm, how, sorry, that, with that, Zoom's how, how that was the other way around, you know, like, you know, with the World War One patients where they're yeah. going home and they're, they get, they're safe, so they're feeling better. But then he's going to the hospital, effectively feeling safe, looked after. Yep. So then that's where the pain kicks in. And that, and that's, that's the main bit about it. You can think of it, um, there's a bunch of Australian physios and neuroscientists who do some really great sort of research into this and they, they call it danger in me. So they call it dim, dims and sims. So it's danger in me and safety in me. And it's if that sort of is outweighed danger in me, you're going to feel pain. If the safety in me is tipping the balance that way, you're not going to feel as much pain. So in, in the in the clients we would all deal with. So that would be, you know, you'd be looking at, so the safety in me is feeling confident about movement, feeling strong and able, you know, actually training and being physically fit 
um, not having comorbidities, you know, or having them well looked after, whether that's diabetes, asthma, whatever it might be, nutrition elements, all of the things which we would sort of say make up a healthy life. If they outweigh the things which don't out sort of provide danger, then you're not going to feel pain or not as yeah. much as someone else. I was going to say, do you get that sort of in the lines where patients come and see you and you're a little bit like, you know, that say that they're reporting, I guess, like almost lower lying niggly pain and you're looking at it going, they've almost just got used to living with pain and you're looking at it going, how are you functioning on a daily basis? This should be almost like agony. Do you get people like that who've just got used to living in pain and they just think that's almost normal? Yeah, absolutely. So you look at a lot of um, persistent pain kind of people at the moment, whether it's fibromyalgia or um, osteoarthritis, or I don't know, kind of got a few sort of LS Dan Loss patients at the moment, and daily pain is normal to them. Um, it's so they they talk about what what their pain, and quite often they'll say this is different. So I know I know my normal pain. This is different. So. It, there's a lot of there's a lot of again understanding people and, and sort of psychology it's on the flip side of that you'll get people with seemingly minimal sort of problems and they're like oh it, it's my pain's 12 out of 10 or it's and we know logically it can't be 12 out of 10 you you've kind of walked in you you saw you, you might be in absolute agony but you've walked in you you what that tells me is the level of distress that person's feeling or the level of um the level of help they're looking for or the level of, you know, just help me. I, I, I'm in absolute agony, help me sort of thing. Whereas, I don't know, let's think of a stupid, shitty example. A paper cut. Paper cuts hurt like hell, don't they? Oh, yeah. Worst injuries. Or, you, or you stub a toe stub a toe on a bit of furniture. I mean, it killed. Logically, you've not broke your toe. You know, you've not kind of, but it hurts like, it hurts like bloody hell. So it's, it's, it's very contextual, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, I, I've kind of forgot the statistics, but there's, I think 25% of the, of the population live in sort of daily, daily pain. Um, and it's rising, it, it's rising. So it, it's, it's a wider societal problem than just, you know, having some medical intervention that will fix you. Cause it's not, I think you touched on it before, um, Andy about, you know, you see you see your healthcare professional, your trainer for maybe an hour a week, or well, what are you doing apart from that? Yeah. If we're not giving them the the knowledge, the tools, the empowerment, the you know, the actual skills to self-manage, yeah. We're, we're missing a trick. We're well, that's pretty much something we speak about like most weeks on this, is like the whole, I guess that like lifestyle kind of I say holistic approach to. Yeah. Everything that people got to be doing stuff outside of just like, I guess the the hour they or two hours they they see us a week. But yeah, it just wonder because the amount of people we get, you know, PT coming to us who just a level of unfitness or you know or detraining, just, you know, running up the stairs and getting out of breath and things like that, on yeah. the, the, the just niggly pains and like low energy and stuff like that. They've just come to accept as sort of normal. And then yep. it's only when they start eating better, training more, you know, consistently, things like that, getting better sleep, you know, actually go, actually, I was, I was like, you know, horrendous before. I don't know how I was functioning. You know, whether you got it in terms of like more, well, it's actually not acute, but chronic pain where people are coming to you and going like, oh yeah, it's just like, I've got a bad hip or whatever, or bad back. And you're looking yeah. at it going, this isn't normal. You should, you shouldn't be in this degree of, 
Absolutely. On, yeah, on yeah. Basis. And that the, the those terms as well, like acute and chronic. I mean, um, we use persistent instead of chronic now because you know, again, words matter, and chronic yeah. has connotations that you think it's more serious or that it's um, you know longer lasting or and literally all it means. So uh, we class acute pain as anything that's say from naught to um, twelve, 12 weeks. Persistent pain is 12 weeks onwards. So it's just a time thing. It's nothing to do with um, severity. It doesn't sort of indicate um, the thing. But yeah, you're absolutely right that people do or have got accustomed to a quite a crappy level of functioning and that just, you know, being... Um, constantly tired and and i mean there are obviously if you're fatigued tiredness and fatigue are different uh, yeah. so a lot of conditions you have genuine fatigue um a lot of the time we're tired but then i say i guess it'll be the same for you guys as well and you're not trying to convince them but actually letting people know that well if you actually do a bit more of the right things if you train more if you you will have more energy yeah Rather than, I, I get people, I think, that try and conserve their energy because they know that they'll have crashes or that they'll, um, they think that there's a, you know, an, an, a finite energy pot that if they're doing too much, the pain's going to be worse or they won't have the capacity to look after the kids or to, when it's actually the opposite, you know, if you can get people doing a bit more on a regular basis at an appropriate level, I mean, yeah. it, it's, again, it's all contextual, over a consistent time, they're going to feel a million times better and coincidentally whatever pain issue they're having is as a byproduct going to be better because a lot of conditions are persistent low-grade inflammatory sort of things um which again you look at all the things which contribute to, to that and it's shitty diet no sleep but it's interesting because all of the chemicals which are produced in the body through no sleep or stress or crappy diets are very, very similar to the chemicals which are released in pain. Yeah. So you can see how it all then starts to get a bit murky and a bit of a crossover and people start to think one thing means another when it clearly doesn't. If we just had a, a more sort of better lifestyle as such, then even if, they, if they've got long-term conditions, they might still be in pain, but their function and actual lifestyle happiness would be better. Yeah, so that is like in terms of, you know, we're, we're all dads. You're going to have times when you're knackered because your kid's been awake three or four times during the night and you've had oh, God, yeah. accumulating of two hours sleep. But that over feeling like that, you know, where you no no sleep, batteries are like running on empty, feeling like that over a longer period of time or feeling like that persistently, like you say, that isn't normal. And like you say, Not at all. it's funny out like when you said it then about people think about conserving their energy. So actually I'll rest. And instead of doing it, actually, you'd be better doing like workout. Say, appropriate, yeah, an appropriate level of training. And if you're doing that, you know, consistently or you know regularly each week, chances are you're going to feel, you know, your energy levels are going to go up. You're going to move better. You're going to feel better mentally. You're going to feel better as well. Absolutely. Easy to say is people go. Actually, I'm feeling rubbish. I'm going to sit back, and then it's kind of spirals and snowballs in the in the wrong direction. Really. Yeah. Why it's well, so important, isn't it, for um like people who do have like for one like i remember when i had my i think i had three bulging discs yep um and i remember getting the piece of paper it's not a competition yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> you're balder than me so you're win. <laughs> I, was, I was just gonna ask i'm getting there i'm getting there um but yeah I, three bulging discs i remember getting the piece of paper and going 
oh my god, I need surgery. I'm not going to be able to play again. I'm never yep. going to lift weights. And that was just a story I told myself, and I was in agony, like I couldn't move. That's a common one. Yep. So when I come into training, I got myself in, and you were like, "Yes, yeah, pretty normal." And I'm like, "What? Yeah, yeah, just um, go in there, do some dead bugs, you know, do some <laughs> get moving. You know, I'll, I'll get a work here." And it was just like a persistent thing, but I think it's why it's so important to. But that goes to as well. That goes to a, a societal understanding of that as well, because it, I mean, got thirty percent of twenty-year-olds would show um, disc bulges at various levels. Thirty percent of twenty-year-olds don't have back pain. Eighty percent of us will get it at some stage in our life. So it, it is normal. It doesn't mean you're dismissing the severity of pain that you were in, or you're dismissing that. But what you are doing is painting a more positive picture of recovery and. You know, you don't need to stop doing it. You might need to um, tinker with your training at the time and stuff, and but you don't have to stop doing what you're doing. But a lot of the, the people I see don't have that understanding or that luxury of be, having it explained to them. So you have all of these seemingly scary medical terms and it's like, oh, shit, or, you know, oh, so-and-so had that, then they're in a wheelchair or, you know, all, all of the, you never get that. It's like the Dr. Google thing. You never get that. Yeah, so-and-so had that and they were right as rain in six weeks. It was, it, it, do you know what I mean? It, it, it's all very um, catastrophizing and kind of scaremongering and, and and that type of stuff. And I think the fatigue that you mentioned, Andy, that you, I remember I was working at um, Jaguar Land Rover in the occupational health just when we had, um, when we had Elijah and, I went into work and I was on an early and I was talking to the, the nurse who was on um, on with us. And I just said, you know, when you used to come into work and go, God, I'm knackered. I was like, no, you weren't. You, you, were, you, were, you were a bit tired. It's like, it's like, you know, you, you're kind of having kids. You now know why sort of sleep deprivation is used as a torture and as a, you know, it's like, because it, it's a, it's another level, isn't it? It's absolutely unreal. Um I, I get this. I, I had a client who was um, a lawyer, and so like in like, in like corporate law, so all nighters and things like that were pretty much the norm. And then I, I remember having uh, when we had Lila, so I'm like, "How the hell did you do that as a normal thing with jobs, and then have kids on top of it?" So how do you function on a daily basis? Like if I've not if I've had a night where she's been up, it's like I can sit on my laptop and just be staring at like half an hour. Like, I've done nothing here. I've just been yeah. sat staring at my laptop. Just the ability to function. If I hadn't had sleep and things, ah, it just goes out the window. It does. Yeah, it's massively important. I mean, it's it, it, it's the biggest anti-inflammatory we've got. It's when, you, when your system makes sense of its day and makes sense of what's going on. It's when you, your body regenerates and repairs and replenishes and if we don't get it, it, it's, it interrupts all of those problems and creates that, that constant inflammatory sort of cycle, which can make pain worse. If you, if you happen to be suffering from that makes your performance on a daily basis worse because yeah. you know, you see mental clarity and, and all of that type of stuff. It's yeah, it's hugely important. What's one of the biggest thing you find? So say we touch on the dad's thing now, do you see, uh, an injury increasing do you see more of one thing over another no we've touched on it a little bit is back pain increasing yep. or shoulder pain or is there anything what you find more more common now than you did maybe 10 years ago uh i don't know if i'd say it's more common but i mean back pain is probably back and neck pain are probably the most sort of prevalent um whether that's i mean Again, I wouldn't say that's attributable to sort of being a dad, but it, it sort of sharpens things, doesn't it? Because my my own personal experience is my kind of 
self-care and, and training's gone out the window. Um, and he's three now, so it's not, you can't, for a short time, you can have that excuse if you like, or, um, but that's all it is in, in essence. What, you, what you're not doing is, you know, prioritizing things. I, I say to patients sometimes, you don't have to have an hour to train or 45 minutes or speaking to someone this morning and, and she's a, an events organizer and she's, she's doing 18 hour days at the moment, working from home, sat at a desk and a laptop. So I was like, well, okay, do you, do you, do you have a drink? Do you go to the kettle? So like, yeah, I said, okay. So each time you get in and out of your chair, can you do me 10 squats? As you go up and down the stairs, could you jog up? Can you do two, two up, one down, two up, one down, two up, one down? Can you do some calf raises at the bottom? Can you do whatever it might be? And she's like, oh, I never thought of that. And I was like, well, we can incorporate that into your day rather than you think. Because if you think, oh, I need to set 45 minutes aside or an hour, I've got no chance. Well, okay. What have you got a chance to do? Have you got, can you go for a walk for 20 minutes at lunchtime? Can you make one of your Zoom meetings a walking meeting? Can you, you know, all of these kind of things. So it's almost removing barriers or getting people to look at things in a different way because, you know, we could all, we can all force ourselves to do something for a couple of weeks if we think we're going to get the goal at the end of it. And, but we're all in the behavioral change business, aren't we? Because if you're not making something, as part of someone's life, as part of their, a lifestyle change, is it going to be sustainable? Is it going to be, no, you're going to be like the, you know, like the slimming world kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, that re- it, of course it works. Cause you're following a program, you're following a plan consistently. And then you stop paying your money and going every week and being held accountable. And you go back to your habits and, oh, your weight's gone back on. Oh, what do I need? Slimming world. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, what do you need is to take the, take the good bits out of that and put that into a framework yourself. And, and, but again, I get, I suppose it's part of a quick fix thing as well. And we had a few trainers on from Canada a few weeks ago, who's like fitness educators. And he mentioned a great book, the one minute workout. Uh, okay. Dr. Matt, have you read it? No, no. Um, yeah. Read it. I, I've got it. I've read it years ago. Uh, Dr. Martin Gabala. It basically goes into the science of, how easy it is to keep your VO2 max, how easy it is just to maintain strength. And like you said, it, the, yep. the stairs, going to the kettle, the squats, just to maintain muscle mass yep. is massive. It's got all the science in the book plus the workouts. And it's, yeah, yep. it's a good one. So anyone listening, like definitely read it. And I would plug it again. But yeah, it's like what you said is is in the book, proven science, and it definitely works. But yeah, same with back pain, isn't it? Like, um, it's like, say, in court, I think, the older I get, I know it sounds daft now, I'm saying how old I am to my uncle Matt. But it's like <laughs> I have to think about, like, I've been sat at this chair for four hours where I didn't used to think about that when in my 20s because I'd sit down, it wouldn't bother me. But now I've got to go, actually, yeah, I need to go and do some movement. Or, and I think, is that like the biggest part of stuff? Because, uh, all right, at, at age 20, though, what were you doing around that? Running around, like... Exactly. Yeah. Training up, training all day and doing... Yeah. So it's appropriate then as well. And, and it's not really to do with age. You know, I, I have, I have this sort of conversation daily, but you know, people talk about posture as well. And, um, and there's no, there's no such thing as good or bad posture. How can there be? We're all different shapes or different sizes. There's no one size fits all and there's no good or bad posture. It's, it's about timing posture. So if you sit, if we all sat now, you know, with like what we think is good posture, we'd all be kind of shoulders back, sat up straight, 
well, if we stayed like that for 20 minutes, would that be comfortable? Would that be good posture? No, because we might then want to slouch and, you know, move into position. So it's about timing posture, but it's also echoing what we've, what we've been going on about as well. It's what you're doing around it. It's what else you're doing. If all you're doing is sitting, well, yeah, undoubtedly you're going to have some aches and pains because you, you're going to be less fit, less resilient, less sort of able to cope with daily demands. So people think that their conditions are getting worse, but what they're actually doing is just getting more deconditioned, which makes, if it's a pain condition, it makes the pain seem worse. But in reality, they're just less. So it's like that. It's just kind of going like that, their fitness. The pain might stay the same. So the pain stays at a certain level there, but their fitness is going like that. So it seems like the pain is worse, but they've just got less capacity. Yeah. Your thumbs still have the capacity to like break iron. Or have you lost that capacity just out of interest? <laughs> the, el- the elbow's good. Um, <laughs> no, actually, that's a good point. You know what? I've, I've had a load of right thumb pain and hands-on stuff. I very, very rarely do now. Um, partly because the science is crap for it. Um, it. It has a place when it's appropriate, but it's the narrative that comes along with it. You know, when chiropractors are my biggest bugbear you know when they're like oh yeah we're putting back these subluxations and we're we're putting you know when people say my back's out or my hips out yeah chiropractor oh the chiropractor put it back in okay that's interesting does that mean they could take it back out again and they go no it's like well what makes you think that they're strong enough to i mean how flimsy would we be or how weak would we be if someone's hands could impart that sort of you know, fixing ability to people. It can't. What it does is it modulates our nervous system because, again, if you're going to seek some care, you expect some benefit. Otherwise, why would you be going and paying some money? So it's all to do with the narrative around it. If it's kind of the narrative that you're broken and you need to see me twice a week for the next six months, and that's not good. It's a good business model, but it's not very – it's not a good healthcare model. Yeah, I've had had a client who won't say his name who was – petrified of doing anything because his chiropractor um said yeah you had a few i'm not gonna slap clients no there's good and bad in everything yeah but i remember the conversation i had was um i put a 12 kilo kettlebell on the floor and we're doing kettlebell deadlifts he's like oh i can't lift that all the chiropractor said i can't i was like your kids are about 40 kilo Yep. You pick them up daily. What do you mean? Context. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But as soon as you then put that into a, a training or a therapeutic kind of thing, you, you can see that fear avoidance that was created in that person. And they they have this feeling or this belief that they're fragile. Yeah. When we're not, we're the, we're the most resilient kind of adaptable sort of beings kind of ever. It, it's it's it's, it's the whole principle of training, isn't it? You don't you don't go into a gym the first time and pick up the heaviest thing you can find because even if you could do it, you'd probably cause yourself a mischief. Or But you lift appropriately, consistently enough, you get stronger, then you, you move up. It's the same. Like, as a, as going back to career, as a 13-year-old, you wouldn't have gone and played first team. You were probably big enough, but... What had I got? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you daft like that. Yeah, I guess it did, yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean by that. I think one of the best things you said to me on this was, in terms of chiropractors, back pain, I'll go into, it was like, you said to me once, you won't remember this, you'll tell me you just ran into someone full whack for 80 minutes and your spine has been absolutely fine, but then someone with a thumb can 
get your spine back or change your spine or yeah. get you out of pain. And I went, oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, I'm going to push Jones under the bus a bit with this one. Here. Uh, he's been saying, I, I knew he was coming. <laughs> when he's saying about like that kind of hands-on stuff, but there is an element of, nothing's right, but people will come to you and go like, it's your job to fix me. I'm in pain. Yep. They have like a bit of a massage and go, oh, it feels better. Oh yeah, he's, he's fixed me here. And they go back out and then do whatever it, it, it was, end up yep. broken again. And it's like, uh, Matt, I need you to, uh, I need you to fix me yep. again here. Um, and it is quite, uh, I guess it's kind of like, let's say it's a good business model, but in terms of like what you're actually doing to try and make somebody better, it's not always, it gives them short-term relief, but then only if they're doing the right things to try and um, yeah. sort of like fix and, it. And again, that's that that can be appropriate. I mean, whether if as long as you've got that understanding with someone and you've got that narrative, because let's face it, a, a massage feels nice, doesn't it? Mm. As as do certain other hands-on kind of, whether it's spinal mobilizations or whatever, it, it feels nice. So there's nothing wrong with that. But in a pure therapeutic thing, I mean, as a, as a base level, if that's all your therapist is doing for you, you're wasting your time and your money. If they're not giving you things to do, if they're not empowering you with the narrative and, and sort of um, explaining exactly what's going on, then yeah, okay, it's nice for them because they're getting a nice regular kind of income and you feel better for that short term. I mean, I, I, I'm instantly, I, I was working privately in, in Hale for a while and it, uh, I remember the, the clinic owner was like, oh, don't bother giving them any exercises and rehab. They'd rather come back and see you and, and I was like straight away going, I'm I'm not going to be here long. I don't think this this doesn't this doesn't fit with my my stuff. But there was a woman there who she kept coming back and she was constantly wanting a diagnosis, constantly. And I think it was off the top of my head. I think it was like you know back pain, non-specific low back pain. And she'd been to see absolutely everybody: surgeons, consultants, chiros, osteos, physios, and. I just, I let her tell a story because I was listening and getting all the information from it. And then I just said, okay. I said, well, can I give you a, an alternative view? And she went, what do you mean? I said, how appropriate is a diagnosis? She goes, well, how, how can you treat it if you don't know what it is? I said, I didn't say it. I didn't know what it was. I said, but let's, well, let's work out. How's that working out for you at the minute? Because you've been, you've told, been told five different things and you've been, and yet something still brought you to my door. So it's obviously not being fixed. It's obviously not being sorted. So let's have a look at a different way. And as soon as you kind of you know, challenge people in a nice way, if the, if the beliefs are unhelpful, but, you know, actually just give people um, an alternative view, really, that they're not fragile, they're not broken. They don't need fixing because we're not, we're not magicians. Yes, we have a, a, a set of skills and knowledge and experience as you guys do, but you're not going to lift the weights for people. You're not going to get the benefit out of it. You're not going to, do you know what I mean? You've got to, you do have to have that element of self-efficacy and, and, um, and involvement basically. I think like, right. Well, say I, I had that with a, a client the other day. Um, and since them going to is like, they, they shared a picture of like them on holiday and uh, things like that. And I, I liked it on Instagram and they went, oh, that's your work. That I went, no, hang on a minute. I just told you what weights to lift a few times yeah. a week and things like that. You actually did the hard work and uh, yeah. things like that. And it's like, say it's giving people that kind of, that kind of stuff to do. But it's, it's funny you say that about like somebody, like you'll get, do you get people who come to you and go like, I, I, I just want a massage. I just want to feel good for it. And they'll come to you and say like, 
you know, it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bothered about a diagnosis things like that. But they, they just want to feel better. They just want a massage a couple of other weeks. They like the way it, it feels. Do you get that in in Hale? Because yeah. I've had it where people come to me and go like, and it took me ages to get my head around it. Where they go like, uh, they, they want to train them like, right? Well, do you want to do this? Do you want to train for this? And they were like, no, I just want you to train me a couple of times a week because if I don't have you, I won't be. Won't be doing it. it. Took me ages to get my head around that some people actually just want someone to train them. Yeah, again, and that's another. It's an, like I said before, people are people, aren't they? And, and certain people, certain people's personalities can be quite passive and and, and really sort of, you know, what he thought. It's giving away that self-efficacy, isn't it? It's giving away that power. It's um, if it's purely just I want to feel nice, it's a therapeutic thing. It's yeah, I mean, go go and see. Uh, they, they'll see they'll see Anna um, at yeah. our clinic really because it's not a it's not a rehab sort of thing. It's a it's literally it's a pampering thing. It's a you, you go go to a spa, go to her because that's not going to address your back pain. Or yes, it might make it feel better for a couple of days, but it's going to come back. You yeah. know, it's going to come back because you've told me that that's the that's the recurring sort of case. So again, I suppose it's about giving that person uh, knowledge and 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 um, and then the ability to make a choice. I mean, it's as long as you've got that understanding with someone. I, I had it a while back where it wasn't particularly fulfilling, but for either of us, really, yeah. a guy just wanted, oh, can you come and just do some mobs on me, and can uh, I'll just come every every month or every? And it's like, well, yeah, we're all right, but what's the point? Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm quite happy to keep taking your money if I can give you that. I'm not just going to take it without sort of telling you that we're, we're wasting our time yeah. here, really, unless we do something else. If you're quite happy on that basis, okay. Yeah, that, that's what I got. I, I couldn't get my head around it for ages. And then it's like, it was just, I don't know, that, that we, we had a chat where they were like, look, I understand I'm not after achieving major things, but I just want, like I, I value that hour of uh, what you're doing and say it was crazy to me yeah. at the time, but yeah. I, I guess know. with you guys as well, though, that, that could be the way of them actually, you know, keeping themselves accountable or, or actually making time for training, whether if, if they hadn't yeah. have been coming and spending money with you, they might not have, they might yeah. not have been active at all. So for, for those kind of people, it, it, it works perfectly. Um, yeah, I think if you go to someone like yourself, like I can only picture this back to the rugby days, it's like, yeah, give me some mobility, give me some mobs, can you just do this and that? But you have to go do something after it. Like so you got to empower them to do something more. Like, yeah, you do. And there's and, and there's natural history as well. There's 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 natural healing times that have to be respected. There's which certainly aren't in rugby because again, they want they want you playing, they want you training, they want you. So the hardest thing in elite sport was to do kind of was to let let natural history take its course, to let the healing time happen. But you always had to be seen to be doing something. You always had to be seen to, and and what that invariably was was a load of passive kind of treatments. Um, when again that, and I, I cringe when I look back now. I'd certainly be a much better therapist now. Um, I cringe at some of the things I've probably said, and I cringe at some of the. Um, kind of treatment stuff that, that you that you do that you, or what you thought you were doing or what you were telling someone that was happening or it's, it's crazy but again you find out more as you go and yeah. yeah I think the most beneficial things I think will become like the physio room isn't it was like the lads room on it 
Oh, it's because it's, it's, the, it's the unofficial hub of the club, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, it's the place of let's share our shit together. We're going through all this together. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, you know, for me personally, there's a lot of mental health stuff going on now. But back then when we were playing, everyone's having shit times. You go on the physio and you got an injury. You have a chat, you all get inside. But some of it is like, like you say, it was the... Counselling. The counselling, yeah. It was the... <laughs> it was the I'm not broken, but I felt good when I left. You know, yeah, but, but, but again, though, that's yeah. that's part of it because undoubtedly, certainly, certainly at Salford towards the end, when we we didn't even know when we were getting paid or if there was going to be a club or if you were going to get another contract or if you were going to be able to pay your bills and all that type of stuff. That that's huge. They're they're not insignificant life things. So are they going to affect your stress levels? Yeah. Are they going to affect your cortisol levels? Yeah. Are they going to affect your ability to train? Yeah. Are they going to affect your ability to recover? Yeah. So all it, it, it's we're not we're not in isolation, are we? We're not. I think the medical world has tried to separate sort of mind and body. Uh, you know, if you're hurt, let's do something to that bit, whether it's poke it, rub it, tape it, inject it, cut it out, burn it, replace it. Well, if that works. Why is the why is the pain epidemic rising? Why are there more people in pain? Why are the procedures and scans going up and yet the pain levels going up? Surely if they're going up, that should be coming down. But it's not. It only tells part of a story. So, and that's the thing with going back to your kind of bulging discs as well, though. That was a snapshot in time. Yeah. It wasn't a life sentence. It wasn't a, a diagnosis. It wasn't a... It was a it was a picture of a shot in time. It's like, you no, know, if we took a picture of your huge massive bicep, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't tell it doesn't tell us how strong you are though, does it? No. It looks it doesn't tell us what you can lift. It doesn't tell us how you got there. It doesn't it just tells a snapshot in time. Like you say, with that snapshot as well, for everyone listening, it's like at that time that you've just said something really interesting then. I got to I do occasionally. Yeah, just kidding. Yeah, sometimes you say you're quite clever, aren't you? Um, not, <laughs> so off, not often, but literally, like you say, it's just it jogged on me now. I knew it was going three weeks before I had the, the bulging disc, got told your contract's no longer there. Yep. I got a mortgage eight months before that. Yep. And now I'm going, oh shit, I've just had some back pain. Wasn't sleeping well. Absolutely. Probably wasn't looking after this like, brain as well as I should have. And all of yep. a sudden I've got three bulging discs and it's this worst pain I've ever had, which Absolutely. three bulging discs might have already been there. So if you look at that in if you look at that in isolation, okay, yeah, that could be quite bad. But then look at all of the other things around it, like you've just said there, and that tells a truer picture than just that than that scan. Yeah. So it's interesting for anyone in it who's got like reporting pain is more than just yes, go see a uh, a specialist, someone like yourself, but he's also, like you say, having them conversations about enabling them and moving on and doing things and being active with it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the best thing you did for me on that, especially going into, was enable, empowering me and able to go, you're not broken, you know, you're strong, just sort this out, sort this out, and you'll be up and moving again. Hmm. At first, I was just like, oh my God, he's so laid back about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, shit. <laughs> that, but that gives you, did that give you confidence though, nearly? The fact yeah. that you went in there thinking, like, say it was almost like a, a death sentence, you're off to the glue factory. Type yeah, of well, literally, I remember Matt saying, um, I still use it to this day, because obviously I had a lot of back spasms when I got out of bed in the morning. I literally couldn't get out of bed. But Matt said, like, listen, he's probably he probably fed me a little bit to my male ego and how I was as a person, where he went, listen, every day is going to be a battle. Just get yourself to training. It's Because I only lived maybe... 
three or four mile up the road and like pressing the clutch on my car was hard work and it was just like fucking really bad pain but I knew when I got there bit of a cuddle whatever you know like, like you have a chat with the lads <laughs> crack on. that's you all know, it was that's what it was like um, but I suppose that is the same for everybody else but yeah it's interesting now like you're saying that was a snapshot so and it was because in, in, in that acute in that acute sort of sense of, of when when bulging discs do cause that type of pain in that acute setting it changes though it doesn't mean you you've 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 still got those bulging discs. If we yeah. if we scanned you now, you would still have them. Yet when was the last time you had some back pain? Well, funny enough, I had a little bit of back pain the other day. Okay. I could tell the difference. It was probably a bulging disc touching on something. It was a diff it wasn't like tightness pain. It was like I think a bent picked up a little one a little bit. And then the day after I was like, I've got a bit of a tingle. Yeah. And just like and from my from working with you and speaking to you, you empower me to go. It's just it just something might balls a little bit more than usual. Or there's something doing something else. It wasn't like I'm injured or I'm broken or, or I'm like bent over. It was just like oh, there's something going on. I'll just continue as normal. It's not yeah. Like, yeah. He's going to get on the text. You go, Matt. I just need a cuddle again. <laughs> so can you give me a cuddle <laughs> I, changed, I changed my number for that reason <laughs> yeah I've got this image now from the club, when he's like bulging discs at the club is he but mate just but it's a bit of a battle getting to training every day and then you just come into your physio and you go it's alright Neely you're okay your back's going to be alright and you go off training to be alright bingo <laughs> <laughs> so this I just couldn't like, get my arms around him yeah it's players are though isn't it and we're like uh, I'm throwing up I've got sickness and diarrhea ring the physio you're like drink some water crack on like don't come in training <laughs> like, ring the physio give it the rest of us sickness and diarrhea stay away there, there, exactly there, there is an element of that though that I know when we said about not thinking it's almost like what what do I do well do what you what would you what would you do if like you you were a normal person and not a rugby player would you <laughs> would you take some like Imodium would you take I don't know would you get your Dioralites in would you stay off work for maybe a couple of days and not come and infect the rest of us yeah okay well, all right, do that then. Ring, <laughs> ring the dock and stop my answering me. <laughs> uh, a bit conscious that we're getting on a bit here now and it would take up too much of time out. So a few bits, I say, fun just to finish with. So I only thought about this one before. Worst injury you've had to deal with? Uh, probably Chev's. Um, although... Theo's was pretty bad in France. Oh, were you there? Were you there, Neely? Yeah, yeah. It's when his dad tried to jump over the thing and, and batter everyone. Yeah, because he and the only reason that was bad is so he got cleaned out in the first twenty seconds. No rugby league sellers. Yeah, playing that. So he he got wiped out in the first. So our young friend Scrum, Scrum Half, who now plays for Saints, we had gone back to um, we were playing in Catalan. Um, sorry, Perpignan. We're playing Catalan Dragons. And he was dead excited and uh, he got wiped out in the first minute, Neely. Yeah, he was we were pretty First much, minute. Yeah. But because he'd been hit with a, a sort of a cheap cheap elbow from the side, he was knocked out, but he started convulsing as well because his airway was blocked. So I think in terms of panic and people panicking around you, that was, that was bad because we had to obviously clear his airway to stop him convulsing and then get the collar on and the, the um, spine board and everything. But I think in terms of, um, you know, cruciates are always bad. Broken bones are always bad. Um, but Chev's, yeah, Chev's was, Chev's was pretty bad because that was a, a, an open fracture of tib and fib. 
Um, yeah, I think any any fracture dislocation is always pretty bad, just because of the the possibilities of shock and things like that, and having to immobilise them. Um, one that we ask everybody every week is, "What is a strong dad to you?" Obviously, we call this a strong dad's podcast. So, what is a strong dad to you? Someone who is, I'd look at it from a not just a purely physical thing. I think someone who's honest, someone who's honest and real um, and can actually reach out for some help when, when needs be. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's been a lot quite rightly talked about mental health um, in, in sort of recent years and certainly a lot of male, male suicide. And there's, there's the non-league football community have just lost another, um, another fella this, this yeah, weekend right, um, with a lot of players that I used to play with or work with and stuff. And, it's I think traditionally the the you know the the uh the thing about being a strong dad was you know being strong and silent and taking everything on the chin and just cracking on with it and manning up and all that business. I, I, that's that's not it. I think it's about being responsible, being accountable, but also you know looking after yourself mainly because it's it's not selfish it's you can't look after anyone else if you can't look after yourself or you're not at the top of your game sort of thing so it's that cliche i posted something on our social media yesterday about you can't pour from an empty cup and so i think being a strong dad is is being you know being all of those things that are traditional being kind of um responsible and accountable and a good role model for your kids because that's that's one thing whether whether it's a son or a daughter you want to raise them in, I would say the right way, but you want to prepare them to be the best expression of themselves that they can be and to be a, a use to society and, you know, to be productive and to have all of those, th- those knowledge and skills, basically. Wow. Cool. Nice. So then I guess like the final for us is where you mentioned Instagram then. So where can people find you if they want to, I guess, like check out more of, uh, of what you do and, and learn more from you. They can look on, yeah, obviously all this social media stuff. So it's your health roots. Um, they can come onto the website, www.yourhealthroots.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's even, we're, we're doing kind of, you know, free consultations. If people just want to chat, if they're not sort of sure about where they're at or where they should be at, they can give us a call via the website and, you know, we're, we're quite happy to have a chat with people and, and discuss anything and, and see what the appropriate course of action is. It might be referring on to a trainer. It might be whatever it is, but yeah, we're, we're sort of happy to do that. And then finally, just say, mate, thank you so much for coming on. And it was great to hear, I guess, like, like you said, like, like how it's, it's a look at the whole picture and it, how everything like mind, body, uh, pain and wellness is all intertwined. And it's about not just, like fixing people that are there in front of you right away. It's everything they do around that. So uh, thank you very much for, for coming on and for speaking about that. No, thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, we deal with people, don't we? We don't deal with body parts. We, we work with people. I, I think particularly because it's, well, it's Mental Health Awareness Week this week, isn't it? So I think yes. talking about that in terms of how, like in, in, a, in an elite sport environment, the physio room, is more than just a place where you fix bodies and get them back out on the training pitch. It's where you look after, I guess, like guys can get problems out and deal with things mentally and everything as well. I think that's, uh, like I said, people who aren't in sport don't realise that. And I think oh, absolutely, yeah. And you can come, as, 
as Neely would say, you can come and have a bitch about the coach or the coaching staff or the, the yeah. directors or whatever it is. But yeah, you can, it's a, it's a safe, it's a safe environment. It's a safe space, isn't it? It's Yeah, you must have had to have been on top of your game to absorb all the everyone else's bullshit, <laughs> which I will say thank you to this day. Because <laughs> there's been a lot going on, um, but yeah, it's definitely... Uh, like no, say. thank you. I've, uh, it's been been good seeing you again, Neely, and it's uh, yeah, no, it's been enjoyable, lad. Thank you. Cheers, Matt. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.